young man was getting nervous. He thought he heard a boat's engine somewhere around the point of the island on the bay side. The woman tourist said, Just a second. She unsnapped the black leather case that held her trusty cannon sure shot. What are you doing? I want a picture, Thomas. She already had the camera up to her eye. Are you crazy? Otherwise, no one back home will believe us. I mean, we come all the way down to Miami, and what happens? Remember how your brother was making murder jokes before we left? It's unreal. Stand to the right a little, Thomas, and pretend to look down at it. Pretend, hell. Come on, one picture. No, the man said, eyeing the corpse. Please, you used up a whole roll on Flipper. The woman snapped the picture and said, that's good. Now you take one of me. Well, hurry it up, the young man grumped. The wind was blowing harder from the northeast, moaning through the whippy Australian pines behind them. The sound of the boat engine, wherever it was, had faded away. The young man's fiancée struck a pose next to the dead body. She pointed at it and made a sour face, crinkling her zinc-coated nose. I can't believe this, the young man said, lining up the photograph. Me neither, Thomas. A real live dead body, just like on the TV show. Yuck. Yeah, yuck, said the young man. Fucking yuck is right. The day had begun with only a light, cool breeze and a rim of broken raspberry clouds out toward the Bahamas. Stranahan was up early, frying eggs and chasing the gulls off the roof. He lived in an old stilt house on the shallow tidal flats of Biscayne Bay, a mile from the tip of Cape Florida. The house had a small generator powered by a four-bladed windmill, but no air conditioning. Except for a few days in August and September, there was always a decent breeze. That was one nice thing about living on the water. There were maybe a dozen other houses in the stretch of Biscayne Bay known as Stiltsville, but none were inhabited. Rich owners used them for weekend parties, and their kids got drunk on them in the summer. The rest of the time they served as fancy split-level toilets for seagulls and cormorants. Stranahan had purchased his house dirt cheap at a government auction. The previous owner was a Venezuelan cocaine courier who had been shot thirteen times in a serious business dispute, then indicted posthumously. No sooner had the corpse been air-freighted back to Caracas than customs agents seized the stilt house, along with three condos, two Porsches, a one-eyed scarlet macaw, and a yacht with a hot tub. The hot tub was where the Venezuelan had met his spectacular death, so bidding was feverish. Likewise, the macaw, a material witness to its owner's murder, fetched top dollar. Before the auction, mischievous customs agents had taught the bird to say, Duck, you shithead! By the time the stilt house had come up on the block, nobody was interested. Stranahan had picked it up for forty thousand and change. He coveted the solitude of the flats, 
and was delighted to be the only human soul living in Stiltsville. His house, barn red with brown shutters, sat three hundred yards off the main channel, so most of the weekend boat traffic traveled clear of him. Occasionally a drunk or a total moron would try to clear the banks with a big cabin cruiser, but they did not get far, and they got no sympathy or assistance from the big man in the barn red house. January 3rd was a weekday, and with the weather blackening out east, there wouldn't be many boaters out. Stranahan savored this fact as he sat on the sun deck, eating his eggs and Canadian bacon right out of the frying pan. When a pair of fat, dirty gulls swooped in to nag him for the leftovers, he picked up a BB pistol and opened fire. The birds screeched off in the direction of the Miami skyline, and Stranahan hoped they would not stop until they got there. After breakfast, he pulled out a pair of stringy denim cutoffs and started doing push-ups. He stopped at 105 and went inside to get some orange juice. From the kitchen, he heard a boat coming and checked out the window. It was a yellow bonefish skiff racing heedlessly across the shallows. Stranahan smiled. He knew all the local guides. Sometimes he'd let them use his house for a bathroom stop if they had a particularly shy female customer who didn't want to hang it over the side of the boat. Stranahan poured two cups of hot coffee and went back out on the deck. The yellow skiff was idling up to the dock, which was below the house itself and served as a boat garage. The guide waved up at Stranahan and tied off from the bow. The man's client, an inordinately pale fellow, was preoccupied trying to decide which of four different grades of sunscreen to slather on his milky arms. The guide hopped out of the skiff and climbed up to the sun deck. "'Morning, Captain.' Stranahan handed a mug of coffee to the guide, who accepted it with a friendly grunt. The two men had known each other many years, but this was only the second or third occasion that the captain had gotten out of his boat and come up to the stilt house. Stranahan waited to hear the reason. When he put down the empty cup, the guide said, Mick, you expecting company? No. There was a man this morning. At the marina? No, out here, asking which house was yours. The guide glanced over the railing at his client, who now was practicing with a fly rod snapping the line like a horsewhip. Stranahan laughed and said, Looks like a winner. Looks like a long goddamn day, the captain muttered. Tell me about this guy. He flagged me down over by the radio towers. He was in a white sea craft, a twenty-footer. I thought he was having engine trouble, but all he wanted was to know which house was yours. I sent him down toward Elliot Key, so I hope he wasn't a friend. Said he was. Did he give you a name? Tim is what he said. Stranahan said the only Tim he knew was an ex-homicide cop named Gavigan. That's it, the fishing guide said. Tim Gavigan is what he said. Skinny redhead? Nope. Shit, said Stranahan. Of course it wasn't Timmy Gavigan. Gavigan was busy dying of lung cancer in the V.A., 
The captain said, You want me to hang close today? Hell no. You've got your sport down there. He's raring to go. Fuck it, Mick. He wouldn't know a bonefish from a sperm whale. Anyway, I've got a few choice spots right around here. Maybe we'll luck out. Not with this breeze, buddy. The flats are already pea soup. Now you go on down south. I'll be all right. He's probably just some process server. Somebody's sure to tell him which house. Yeah, I figure so, Stranahan said. A white sea craft, you said? Twenty-footer, the guide repeated. Before he started down the stairs, he said, The guy's got some size to him, too. Thanks for the info. Stranahan watched the yellow skiff shoot south across the flats until all he could see was the long zipper of foam in its wake. The guide would be heading to Sand Key, Stranahan thought, or maybe all the way to Caesar Creek, well out of radio range, as if the damn radio still worked. By three o'clock in the afternoon, the wind had stiffened, and the sky and the water had acquired the same purple shade of gray. Stranahan slipped into long jeans and a light jacket. He put on his sneakers, too. At the time, he didn't think about why he did this, but much later it came to him. Splinters, from running on the wooden deck. The raw two-by-fours were hell on bare feet, so Stranahan had to put on his sneakers, in case he had to run. The sea craft was noisy. Stranahan heard it coming two miles away. He found the white speck through his field glasses and watched it plow through the hard chop. The boat was heading straight for Stranahan's stilled house and staying clean.